Welcome to today's edition of Gibson's Caring Corner. I'm excited that we have Mr. Bob Crosswhite with us today with Crosswhite and Crosswhite, a local law firm that deals with a lot of issues that our clients and their children have to deal with whenever we are at the stage of senior care um, for the aging adults. So today I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Crosswhite some questions that hopefully you will take back information and he is in North Carolina, so that's important that the law that we're going to be talking about is North Carolina. And the first question that Creighton and I, when we go into a home, we're going to ask, you know, who is your power of attorney? If something were to happen to you and you were no longer able to make decisions for yourself, who is able to do that for you? Can you um, tell today's listeners um, what that means? Well, when I meet with clients... Uh, one of the things I tell them is the most important documents that you can have while you're alive is a general durable power of attorney and a health care power of attorney. But the durable power of attorney does allow someone to be able to make decisions for you if you're not able to do so yourself. If they needed to access your bank account, pay your bills, uh, sell your real estate, sell your car, communicate with the power company, the durable power of attorney will allow them to do that. And the reason it's called durable is that it's even effective in the event of your incapacity. The other important document is the health care power attorney, who is to make medical decisions for you if you're not able to do so, who's able to communicate to the doctor, the facility regarding treatment care if you're not able to do so yourselves. Those are, I tell clients repeatedly, those are the more, most important documents you can have while you're alive. Absent that, then it gets a lot more cumbersome. Um, I have people come to me on a regular basis that don't have anything in place. And the question is, is can you get something in place now? And so that comes down to the question of competency. You know, are they able to understand what's going on? Are they able to make financial decisions and things like that? Are they able to communicate? Are they able to write? That sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, without that, then you're looking at a guardianship. And a guardianship, I tell clients, tends to be expensive and time-consuming. Hmm. Well. I don't know how many people that I've worked with that had a guardianship, but um, yeah, that, that's interesting. So that would be important for, for someone to know what would be best for them. And of course, going to a professional um, law firm, it would be a great, great place to go to get that help. Um, we also run into many veterans, um, veterans that have fought in a war and veterans that haven't. And there's certain times that um, a veteran you know, needs help and um, just they've never used the services. For some reason, it's like there's guilt associated with using services that, are, that they get for free um, because they've served and they served so well. So how can you, how do you help a veteran? Well, a lot of times when I meet with clients, a lot of them are veterans. Um, and some of them have already got their service-connected disability rating and they're already receiving some benefits to some extent. Um, though one of the things I t tend to do when they do, or there is a veteran, is I refer them to the local veteran service office. Um, every county in every state has a local veteran service office. There is a veteran service officer there that is will work with veterans. They know the system. They know what benefits are available. They help with the application. They go through that process. So if you are a veteran, um, I would make recommendations you contact the local VSO office and to see exactly what benefits that may be available. Um, I've had clients over the years that have come in and um, 
I referred them there, and then when I met, met them again to get some of their documents signed, found out that they were, he, he was eligible for new hearing aids. And so he got his new hearing aids paid for, and then he was given a disability rating, and he was able to get a pension and even back pay on the pension. So, you, you know, there are benefits sometimes that veterans have that um, they may not be aware of, uh, but just contact the local v- uh, veteran service office. And, and that's great. Um, the, the equipment and the items that the veterans have received from, from the um, Veterans Administration has been significant, that I've seen that they get supplies and things that the regular person honestly has to pay a lot of money for, and they're provided these items at no charge. But they have earned those, and we're proud that we at Home Instead, we offer a discount um, to all of our veterans that we provide service for and their spouses. So we, we are proud to do that and to serve that community. Um, and I will say that I've seen some that have like, um, they get pensions and they have like TRICARE insurance and then others that um, get respite services. So um, in our community, some are with the Salisbury VA and some are with the Asheville um, VA and then um, they get respite or um, in-home aid services. So there's, um, there's like different levels of care, different things that are provided, but you have to, you have to contact the, those vet, Veterans Administration professionals um, to walk that walk and go through that process. I wish I could contact them for them, but they won't let me. Well, you know, the thing about the veterans is, is that, you know, a lot of them may have the questions of what happens if I go into a nursing home, long-term care, and that sort of thing. And a lot of times the VA facilities have um, long-term care type facilities for whether Alzheimer's, dementia, or other type skilled care type facilities. And they also cost significantly less than the traditional ones that are outside in your community. And many and veterans will get rated depending on their disability, whether they have priority. And so a lot of times I will tell the veterans you know, or their spouses, get them on the waiting list over there. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had some of the spouses tell me they really like the facility, particularly the one over in Salisbury. I've worked with some that's had their family members in the facility over at Black Mountain. And I think there's a facility down near Raleigh as well. There's probably several others through North Carolina, but those are the local ones that I'm familiar with. So. And whenever you think about it, you know, whenever you're a veteran and you're serving, you're learning the skills that are required um, to be able to provide care. And so, you know, I would think in a lot of these hospitals, not that I know that, or facilities, you would have the opportunity for veterans to be serving veterans. And um, that would be a great thing in my eyes if I was someone, a veteran, needing that care, that I would possibly have that opportunity to be served by a veteran. Well, yeah, there are a lot of veterans out there that do offer that. One additional thing that I think veterans should be aware of, and not every veteran will qualify, and this is not service-connected rating, but there's a pension program called Aid and Attendance Pension Benefit. It's designed to help veterans to cover costs and their spouses with assisted living expenses either at home or an assisted living facility. And you have to qualify for that, and there are several different rounds to, be, to qualify for it. But anytime I meet with a veteran, I go through those questions, see if they can qualify. Sometimes you can do planning to allow them to qualify um, uh, sooner. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the VSO office will definitely be able to help with veterans to receive that benefit. And for a veteran, it's around $2,200 a month, and a spouse of veteran, it's around half of that. So um, it sometimes can be very helpful when you've got at-home care um, or an assisted living or if you've got a spouse 
uh, that needs care as well. So, you know, that's another benefit that veterans should always check into is the aid and service, aids and attendance uh, pension benefit. Very good. Thank you. Um, we mentioned um, nursing home. How about long-term care planning? So how can, how can children in their 50s, 60s help their parents plan if nothing is in place? Well, the first thing is obviously what we mentioned earlier is make sure you have a very good power of attorney and a health care power of attorney. I like, particularly when it comes to long-term care planning, have a power of attorney that has a lot of authority, that's very powerful, that's broad in authority, because you need the ability to do planning in the event one of your, your spouse or your parent goes in long-term care, how to protect the assets, how to ensure that the at-home spouse gets the care they needed or the benefits they need, um, and, uh, and, and having a good power of attorney is very important. Uh, most power of attorneys I see are statutory short-form power of attorneys. Um, they're good for banking and things like that, but when it comes to a more advanced planning, you really needed more enhanced uh, power of attorney. So that would be one thing to look at. Um, anytime I work with clients on their estate plans or whatever planning we do, I always want to see their power of attorneys and see if we need to upgrade them. And so certainly that is one thing to do is make sure that um, your power of attorneys are in place. The other thing I always verify with people is make sure your beneficiary designations are in place, updated beneficiaries, whether on life insurance, retirement account, annuities. Um, in my experience, missing or outdated beneficiaries is um, the biggest uh, issue that comes up many times. Um, you know, sometimes if you don't have a beneficiary, it will go to your state, which means probate. Um, if you have your spouse or your children, that all avoids probate. And so make sure your beneficiary designations are updated as well. And then I look at the basic estate planning documents, which is primarily a last will and testament. Sometimes people go with the living trust agreement. Make sure those things are in place. And then I like to look and review, you know, kind of assets they have and make sure things are organized, simplified, they know where things are because that makes things so much easier in the event of an issue that comes up. And sometimes in long-term care planning, you know, what if I go into a nursing home? Sometimes there are things we can do in advance that would be uh, setting up different types of trust to protect assets. Um, but many times we do what we call crisis planning. Mom is in the nursing home or dad's in the nursing home. Mom is like, what can I do? I don't want to lose the house. How much income do I get? I don't have to spend all our life savings. And so that is where crisis Medicaid planning comes into play. And so I can work with people, do an assessment, do evaluation, determine what is the best course of action, and even go forward with filing the Medicaid application for clients. Very good. And and making these types of decisions before something happens is so important so that you don't have your behavior in the way because it's emotional whenever you're having loved ones going into facilities and you're uncertain of what the next steps are. But whenever you go to a professional like Mr. Crosswhite here, then they can help you through those things so that you know everything's in place whenever the need arises, if, it, if the need arises. Mm -hmm. And, and it's always good to consult with an elder law attorney, uh, so an attorney that focuses in elder law as a specialty. Um, every state will have elder law attorneys. Uh, most of the law when it comes to Medicaid is federal, though within states, some states have specific things that they do. Um, so I'm licensed in North Carolina, and uh, so I can work with people in North Carolina if there's someone that's 
has family members out of state, will locate an attorney in that state to work with them. But it's an area called elder law. Um, you know, you can get on the website, Google elder law and find an attorney in your area. And a lot of times you'll find several listed, but make sure it's someone that's a competent elder law attorney that knows what they're talking about and doing. Very good. So what were to, what, and I hate to, you know, I really don't want to put, you know, the fear of, of what, of the what ifs, but if um, someone did not plan and they, them and their spouse were in um, an automobile accident and they both died and no planning whatsoever had been done. And let's say they have four children and all the children are grown. What would happen? Well, I mean, if they can't really determine, and let's say both died, I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. they can determine one died first, but everything will flow down to the children at some point. Um, that's called uh, intestate succession. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't have a will, they died what they call intestate. That means dying without a will. So North Carolina has a pre-written will uh, for everybody. But, um, you know, a lot of times it's good to still have a will in place because you get to appoint, guardian, uh, uh, appoint your executor of the estate, who to handle the estate. You can appoint guardians for your minor children. If you have minor children, you can leave things in trust for those minor children, that sort of thing, until they get of age. Otherwise, their inheritance is held through the clerk of court until they reach 18, and then they get control of the funds. And sometimes, you know, if you have an 18-year-old that will inherit, you know, quarter million dollars, that's probably not the best thing. <laughs> and so it's good to do planning in place. And so I would certainly recommend people sit down with an estate planning attorney and um, um, look through their basic estate planning documents, make sure they've got these things in place to protect their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, my father um, passed away November the 22nd, and he did do all the planning. He just didn't tell me anything about it. So there, there were wills in place. There were trusts in place. I knew nothing about any of those. But um, whenever you said update your beneficiaries, I have moved. So the addresses that the trust um, you know, sent me information to, um, I was no longer there. So it's really important for you to... Um, make sure those things are up to date. When my sister received hers and she had not moved, she told me and asked me if I had received mine. So I'm like, okay, I need to investigate this. So um, it is very important that you do that because it matters. And so keeping those things up to date if something were to happen to you. And if you're the children um, taking care of your parents, what, what if something were to happen to you? Um, you're the one that's overseeing the care, making sure the caregivers are there. Maybe you are the caregiver. And so what is going to happen to your parents if something happens to you? And so having those things in place matters a lot. Well, and it's also, I think, important to have a conversation, even with your children. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, when your, your parent passed away, you had mm-hmm. no idea what was going no on. No idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a lot of people, they're very protective, they're very yes. closed. They don't want to uh, tell their children anything. But, uh, and, and it can be very difficult. I, I've had when uh, children lost a parent and they're trying to figure out where the will is, where this is, and where their bank accounts are, where their car titles are, <laughs> those sort of things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes um, it can take a while. And I've even had surprised financial accounts show up uh, a couple years later that no one knew existed. So it's always good to have these conversations with your children. This is where we keep these documents. This is the, this is the role. These are the executors. Everything's here. We've got all our car titles, our bank statements, life insurance, that sort of thing. So the children know where these things are and that the parents has had a discussion with them because it makes things much easier uh, when the parent does pass. 
Absolutely. All the titles, please put them in one place. I'm just saying. Anyway, yes. <laughs> All right. So um, next on my list here, um, I had down just, you know, that we had mentioned um, business <clears throat> succession planning. So, you know, what if, um, what if our, we have taken care of many people that owned a business and we were still driving them to work to their business and then bringing them back home. So what's the importance of business succession planning? Well, obviously, you know, if you've got a business and some businesses are small, some businesses are large. And so, you know, the question is if, if something happens to you, what happens to the business? And in some situations, if you're like a sole proprietor, that business is gone because uh, there's no one there to, to operate it, and, and your clients are left hanging. But sometimes it's good to de decide, what do I want to do to ensure that my business will continue? Now, if, if people have children that are working in the business and can run the business and take over the business, that's a good choice. Um, but sometimes they don't. Their children don't want to have anything to do with the business. And, you know, the question some clients say, well, as you get older, do you want to look to sell your business? Uh, that's sometimes the best time to buy a buyer when it's at its, it's at its peak income and that sort of thing. So you can get the maximum value for it. But if you don't, then have some sort of succession plan. You know, um, is there someone in the company that would be interested in taking it over? Is there uh, someone out there that would buy it? Is there a competitor that would be interested in buying it? Mm -hmm. I've had clients where they've approached competitors that have uh, bought their uh, existing business out. Mm -hmm because they wanted to take, take over that particular market they service. So that is a very important thing to make sure not only your family is taken care of, um, but also your children and your clients and your, you know, the business people you work in a business. And I do know in some situations where, you know, two, hus two men have a business or partners, you know, if one of them passes away, uh, the surviving owner doesn't want – his partner's wife to be his new partner. And so sometimes you need to have some sort of buy-sell agreement in place so that you can work the arrangement where the surviving owner buys the business out of mm -hmm. the deceased owner. And so that is a very important type planning to have in place. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, you know, I always like to put life experiences into that. Um, and so like Creighton and I, we have one child, she's 23. She's a fabulous school teacher, but she's 23. So our plans is that she she can't have access to even consider anything to after she's 25. Um, and that way she's just a little bit more mature, a little bit more possibly ready. So having something in place, if something were to happen to you at the best interest, and maybe it is um, someone that's going to oversee trust, they're going to oversee my mother that lives with me, making sure that she has the adequate quick care that she needs taking care of my dog. Uh, you know, so we, you, know, you have pets in your family. Who's going to take care of your pets if something were to happen to you? Yeah, and just having all of that in place, the, the nutrition, your family, your business, it takes a lot. And having a professional to help you walk that walk and go through those steps, I think is your best choice. Do you have any other final words? Well, you mentioned pets, mm -hmm. and I've had a number of clients over the years. You can create and leave uh, money in a trust for your pets. Mm -hmm. I've had people set up, and they'll designate a custodian for the pet, someone to take care of the pet and raise the pet. You can have it set up where you can leave money in a trust for the pet to take care of the pet. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a number of people have done that over the years. Um, another area to be aware of is uh, special needs issues, children that have you know maybe special needs, I have a lot of people come to me and their children um, uh, you know, are on Medicaid and different benefits like that. 
Uh, if they inherit from you, they would lose eligibility to those benefits. So you need to make sure you need to do planning through special needs trust um, to be able to protect those assets so you can leave them inheritance, but they don't lose their Medicaid and other uh, benefits hmm. out there. So hmm. that hadn't thought of that. That's good. I have to have to say I'm going to let everybody have a, a giggle out of this. So hmm. one of our first clients, um, yeah, I'm going to say 18 years ago, um, the husband and wife um, decided themselves to go into a facility. But the facility did not allow pets, and they had two cats. So one of our first customers were, were two cats on Broad Street that our caregiver had to go in each day and feed and clean out the litter box. So you do have to have things in place, and that's the way that they decided to take care of their pets. And it, you know, we laughed about that and laughed about that, but people love their animals, and they wanted to make sure that they, they were provided care, and we did do that. All right. Anything else? No, but thank you very much for this opportunity. Well, thank you for joining us today, and I hope you have enjoyed today's Gibson's Caring Corner. Hi. Welcome back to Health Tips with Kale, your exercise science, health, and fitness enthusiast. So today we're going to go over, we're going to start part one of our part two series, the benefits of walking. So a lot of us see walking as just something that we normally do throughout the day. We don't really look at it as exercise, but what happens if we use walking as exercise? We take an additional 30 minutes, five days a week to just get outside and walk. Well, there are many health benefits such as lowered blood, lower blood pressure, lowered blood sugar levels, increased vitamin D, stress and anxiety uh, relief, help with sleep and also help with weight loss and many more things. So today I want to go over the reduced blood pressure, reduced blood sugar levels, and the increased vitamin D levels, which vitamin D in and of itself has a lot of health benefits. So with walking, you might notice that your heart rate might spike a little bit or might go up a little bit. Well, that increased heart rate then increases the blood flow throughout the body and increased blood flow throughout the body means you have a now lowered blood pressure because now your body isn't having to squeeze your heart isn't having to squeeze so hard in order to push the blood to the areas that your body really needs it like your brain and your vital organs and so there's a journal here published in the american journal of hypertension 2014 that said walking for 30 minutes a day five days a week significantly reduced blood pressure in order to and older adults with hypertension. There's another study that goes on to talk about your blood sugar levels. So walking can have a positive effect on your blood sugar levels. So if you think about it, walking takes energy, right? Well, where do we get our energy from? Well, we get it from the sugars and the food that we eat. So if we have a lot of sugar floating around our blood, so that's our blood sugar levels, and we start walking, well, our body's going to naturally start to pull from that resource to help us move forward. And so there are certain studies here that go on to say that type 2, that walking has a positive effect on our blood sugar levels for those with type 2 diabetes or risk of developing it. They go on to say that When we walk, our muscles use glucose, sugar, for energy, as I was just saying, which can help lower blood sugar levels. 
Um, it can also help with increased insulin sensitivity. So we talked about that a little bit during our diabetes episode. We can, it also goes on um, saying that a study, or a study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology in 2017 found that a single 15-minute walk after each meal helped to reduce postprandial, so after meal, blood sugar levels in individuals with type 2 diabetes. And so what, what that means is that when we go to eat our food, our body now creates this sugar, this energy. But when we go for a 15-minute walk, now we have to use some of that energy to help walk, to help exercise. And so not all of that sugar is now being stored in our body. Another study published in the Journal of Diabetes Care in 20, 2006 found that walking for 30 minutes a day, five days a week, significantly improved glycemic control in individuals with type 2 diabetes. So if you think about this, one study says that it helps with insulin sensitivity, which means our bodies are more capable of using insulin more efficiently. So now we don't have a insulin um, now we're not struggling to use insulin. Now we're able to produce insulin and our body takes it right away. It helps to move things along. But because of that, now we can also use the sugars that it attaches to, to get it into the cells a lot more efficiently. And so with that, it helps to keep our blood sugar levels a little bit lower, which is also our glycemic control. And then vitamin D. So vitamin D is also known as the sunshine vitamin, right? So we all say, oh, go outside, get your vitamin D. But what exactly does vitamin D for, do for us? And how does walking have to deal with vitamin D? Well, if we're going outside to walk for 30 minutes a day or 15 minutes after a meal, then we're more than likely going to get our vitamin D from the sun, which is, it might kind of sound a little weird, but what happens is the sun's rays, pretty much in a very generalized term, touches our skins and our bodies start to produce vitamin C or vitamin D. And so vitamin D has its vast majority of things that it helps us with. So it helps us with bone health, immune system, inflammation. It helps with our brain health, it helps with our mood, our heart health, and also helps reduce the risk for other cancers. So what if you're not capable of exactly walking for 30 minutes a day? Then what should you do? Well, at the very least, I would suggest just being outside for 30 minutes a day would be beneficial. If you can, just go outside, maybe walk down the driveway and then back up or walk down your road and back. You don't have to do it very fast, but just trying to do a little bit of something is better than nothing. I mean, they even said 15 minutes after a meal helps with your blood sugar levels. So walking at any amount of time is going to be very beneficial. And so we also talked last week about how walking after a stressor can also help with your stress levels. And we'll get to that on the next episode.
So I want you guys to go outside, enjoy the weather, and go for a little bit of a walk. I'll see you guys again next week. Cheers. Let's go back through time and talk about the stories of Elizabeth Ann Reinhardt Gibson in Mooresville, North Carolina. Here we go. Little do I know about my grandmother and granddad Stafford. I barely remember grandmother wore a little black and white gingham apron with big pockets filled with her snuff can, sassafras toothbrush, and silver kisses, and ball bat suckers, which she gave to all of us kids. Then I barely recall Jack and Alice taking John Blaine, Alice, Mother Jeanette, John, um, Joan Reinhardt, Grandmother Stafford, and me to the beach. As we were getting all of our belongings out of the car, Grandmother mashed her thumb in the car door. She was in terrible pain. The Stafford reunion was always held at Taylorsville Beach, where the old Stafford home place was. It was always in May every year, and Mother never missed one. In McCaddenville, where Dad and Mother grew up, homecoming was always held in October each year, and they didn't like to miss that either. Mother said one time she and her sister Fanny were over at Little River, where a pond still is in Alexander County. They wanted to get to the other side of the bank. A little boy had a flat-bottomed boat on the pond. They talked him into riding them across the pond in his boat. He rode to approximately the middle of the pond, jumped out, and swam to the other side, leaving the girls squalling in the middle of the pond. Well, a word about Granddad. The only things I know of him, he was a mountain man, lazy as a hound dog, a shoemaker, and a leather smith. When they lived in Catawba, North Carolina, near the railroad, Mother and Aunt Fanny and Carl were always sent out with tow sacks to pick up coal from the railroad tracks, where the train cars dropped the coal. This is how their house was heated. Coal was also used for the cook stove. There were two little old ladies who lived near the Staffords, and Mother and Aunt Fanny would go over to visit them. They liked to dip snuff and taught Mother and Aunt Fanny to dip snuff. My grandmother did snuff, too. That was a thing back then. Back to Granddad Stafford, they must have lived here, there, and everywhere. Mother was born in Iredell County at Bradford's Crossroads. They lived in the Taylorsville area, Gaston County, Catawba, and Ellerby, North Carolina, where he still did shoemaking. He once had an affair with a young girl, and she died when she gave birth to their baby. I don't know if that baby lived or died. But Granddad Stafford carried her picture in his wallet along with the lock of the girl's hair. He told Grandmother of all of this and made her promise when he died to bury her picture and lock of hair under his casket pillow. Do you believe how stupid my grandmother must have been? She did exactly what he asked her to do. Back to a story about Dad and Granddad Reinhardt. They had horses, mules, donkeys, guineas, etc. all the time. Carl Anderson was a merchant below Mayhewtown who wanted his horse bred. He had Granddad's stock to take care of his need. Mr. Carl never paid Granddad for the service, and one day they ran into one another in Mooresville on Main Street in front of Turner Hardware and the First National Bank at that time. Granddad asked for his fee, and they got into a terrible argument. Granddad Reinhardt had a bad temper, and of course he he could out 
curse any sailor who ever lived. He began cursing, and Mrs. Elva Alexander, Mr. Carl's wife, jumped up on Granddad's back with her legs wrapped around his waist and started beating away at his head. I know his cursing would have picked up tempo by this time. Mr. Carl and Dad were going at each other with fists. By the time the law got to them, Mrs. Elva had Granddad on the ground, sitting over his stomach, horseback style, beating his head against the concrete street. Crowds had gathered and joined the sights. Granddad was charged with profanity and paid the $5 fine. Mr. Carl was fined, as was Dad. I think Miss Elva maybe got by without a fine. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's edition of Going Back Through Time with Elizabeth Ann Reinhardt Gibson. Thank you for watching Karen Corner. Make sure you head over to our Facebook and YouTube channel where you will find this program along with others. Be sure that you subscribe, like, and click the notification bell so that you will receive notifications for our weekly program. Don't forget to share this program to your social media platforms. If there's a question that you would like to ask, make sure to email it to caringcorner22 at gmail.com. We hope to see you on the next episode of Caring Corner.